0: We were sitting outside Jericho in Israel, learning from a special guest, Professor Tom Meyer. I'm so thankful he was willing to meet us here at Jericho for just a few minutes and share about the city's history. And one of the main points we should take away from our tour with him is that we can believe the Bible story. The Israelites did march around the walls of Jericho, as the Bible says, and they came crashing down. Of course, while this isn't what secular archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon said, we now believe that she misdated the walls. And of course, this is a significant mistake that has led many astray, as people have said that the story of Jericho and the Bible never really happened. Professor Meyer added to his argument by saying something profound. We must believe the Bible. Maybe not everything makes sense. Maybe archaeology seems like it could go one way or another. Maybe we can't prove something with 100% certainty with the limited tools we as humans have. But if we believe the Bible to be God's inspired word, then it is both a religious document, but also it's a historically accurate document. And I hope that you'll walk away from this tour uh, with renewed confidence in the Bible. Well, I'm excited about this tour today because we're finally going to be heading inside of Jericho. So grab your gear and let me go ahead on in and just purchase our tickets. Okay, everyone, let's head on in. So now we're inside the old city of Jericho. You'll remember that we believe Jericho to be one of the oldest cities in the world. And at that, it's probably the oldest inhabited city in the world, continuously inhabited city. So just think of the generations of people that have stood on this ground. It's fascinating to me. You also notice that it looks like an old tell, being a city with many layers. Over to the right, uh, we see that there are a few more layers left standing. And then to our left, look how archaeologists have actually dug a little deeper. And they kind of have sliced open that cake. And you can see the layers. It's really cool. We'll notice also the, the typical stone structures that we've seen at other sites. And while it's hard to tell now, These stones probably would have been the foundations for houses and stores and and much more that would have kept the city running. And you'll also notice we see some small walls. These are definitely not the original walls from the time of, of Joshua coming and conquering the city. Those would be layers below us or really I guess they wouldn't be because they came crashing down. But of course there were people who came to Jericho later and continued to rebuild. Right. They, they rebuilt Jericho on the ruins, and so we see a little bit of those remaining walls now. You also can find a lot of pottery if you just look around. In fact, you're stepping on a lot of it right now. When archaeologists excavate, they dig up tons of pottery, uh, and they'll sort it and try to piece together the pottery shards to recreate what the shards originally were. So that could be a food container or a water jogger or, or anything, right? But when they have a bunch of leftover pieces that they can't do anything with, a lot of times they'll just dump them and kind of make a path with them. So that's what we're seeing here. We're looking at all of the shards. Now I I am not a, a pottery expert, but my family's tour guide. Well, he certainly is. So when we go places with him, my siblings all run around and they're picking up pottery and they bring it to him and he's able to identify it right away in terms of the time period from which it's from because there are key characteristics of pottery from each time period. So we can tell them immediately whether it's it's any time period from the Bronze Age uh, to the Byzantine period. I wish I had that talent. Also, side note on the pottery shards in case you're worried. I know I see some of you looking around and wanting to pick them up. They're basically worthless at this point. Archaeologists have worked hard to piece all of these shards together. But what we're seeing right now are the leftovers. So now they've just been thrown about and they're on the footpath. So my siblings actually would take some of the pottery home that they'd find. It's certainly not stealing. Obviously, we don't want to take home a whole truckload of it and destroy the path. But we would just grab a few pieces and we'd give them as gifts to friends back home. It's about as authentic as a gift as you can get. So back here with Jericho, we've, we've learned so much about it from Professor Meyer last time, and he did a fantastic job at giving us the rundown of Jericho's history, but there's one part of Jericho's history that he briefly mentioned that I want to expound upon, and that is the curse of the city. So when God tells Joshua to go conquer Jericho, that's kind of surprising. Jericho was big and Jericho was powerful, but God told the Israelites, It was a city that would fall as part of their conquest. And that's kind of surprising because the Israelites are just people that have been wandering about. They're definitely not as strong as the people at Jericho, but God says it will be theirs. And and maybe you know the story. The Israelites marched around Jericho for six days, and then the seventh day is unique. Here's what God says. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And that's exactly what happened. The walls of Jericho literally collapsed. There's archaeological evidence to back that up that Professor Meyer discussed last time. So then Israel burns the city to the ground, and Joshua curses it by saying this cursed before the lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city jericho at the cost of his firstborn son he will lay its foundations at the cost of his youngest he will set up its gates that's pretty harsh joshua lays a curse on the city of jericho and the curse is real about 500, I think 530 or so years later, the book of Kings talks about Hiel from Bethel. He goes to Jericho and he tries to rebuild it. It's just a man wants to wants to rebuild the city of Jericho, right? When he lays the foundation, his firstborn son dies. When he sets up the gates, his youngest son, Segub, also dies and that's exactly what Joshua said would happen so maybe we're left wondering why did God curse Jericho the best explanation I have is that Jericho was representative of Canaanite values and when God sent the Israelites into the promised land he wanted them to totally conquer it it was a total conquest he wanted them to destroy the Canaanite nations and cities Jericho obviously being one of them Now, there's a lesson here for us today because Israel didn't do that. Israel did not totally conquer all of the Canaanite cities, and they ended up falling into idolatry. Think about all the awful kings of Israel beyond David and Solomon, right? They got themselves into trouble for worshiping idols. They didn't worship the one true God like they had been commanded to do. And it's sad to think that if they had followed God's command from the beginning of destroying the Canaanites and the wickedness that accompanied them, perhaps Israel could have avoided its, its long exile from the land. And you have to remember that that exile really just ended with the establishment of the Jewish state. So it's a very recent ending to that exile. It's a good reminder for us today, too. What do we hold on to that God would want us to destroy? The Israelites held on to all of this idolatry and all of these Canaanite values because they thought they would be able to withstand the pressure and not fall into the idolatry and the values of the Canaanites. But as the Bible details, they couldn't. Had they obeyed God's initial order to destroy such evil, maybe history would have looked very different. There's also another character I want to talk about from this story here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Maybe you've heard of her, Rahab. So the story of Rahab starts back when Joshua sends spies to go and check out Jericho. And these spies go to a prostitute's house, Rahab's house. Okay, so this story is already a little unique because they're going to the house of of a prostitute. And next we learn that the king of Jericho hears about these Israelite spies at Rahab's house and he sends a message to Rahab. He wants her to bring out the spies. But she actually lies. Well, well, first she hides the spies on the roof and then she tells the king's messenger this. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. And so the king sends people off down the road, supposedly chasing after these Israelites. But no, they're still safe inside Jericho, on Rahab's roof. And that night, Rahab speaks to the spies, and she says that she recognizes the Lord as the true God. She says that she remembers God's work for the Israelites with how he saved Israel from the Egyptians and how he drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. What an amazing act of God. Even as a Canaanite prostitute, she proclaims the Lord to be God in heaven above and on the earth below. So the only thing she asks of the Israelites whom she had protected is that they spare her and also her family when they return to destroy Jericho. And the spies agree to this, but they say that she has to tie a scarlet cord in the window. And and she does that. And the color choice there is interesting. It's red, the color of blood which obviously is what flows from animals that are sacrificed for sins, which is what uh, was done in Jewish practice. It's like Rahab was painting the blood from an animal, almost, on her doorframe like the Israelites actually did at Passover, so there's a connection there. Rahab's family then was passed over in a sense. They were not destroyed when the rest of Jericho was. So the spies go report to Joshua that Jericho is actually afraid of the Israelites based on the conversation that they have with Rahab, where Rahab explains that, yes, the people of Jericho actually fear you guys who have been just wandering around in the desert. So the Israelites end up going to Jericho. The walls come falling down. But right before they burn Jericho to the ground, Joshua tells the spies to go save Rahab and her family. He remembers the promise that was made to her. And she is saved. The book of Joshua actually says that Rahab lived, with the Israelites following the destruction of Jericho. So there are a few things that interest me about this story, and it's all the more fascinating that it took place right in this area. Think about that. Who knows? Maybe we're standing on top of Rahab's house right now. And then maybe just over that away the king sent the soldiers down the road to find the spies, who were actually still in Rahab's house, but Regardless of exactly where it happened, it happened in this general area, which is where we're at right now. So I'm still left with a question, and maybe you're wondering about it too. Rahab did something. Rahab lied. So is it okay to lie? I'm not a theologian, so I'm posing this question, hmm, I guess, as something for us to think about here on our tour. But it's interesting to consider. Rahab definitely lied to the king's messenger, but one could also say it was for a good cause, right? But still, lying is wrong. So we're left with this uh, this relationship between lying, but is it for a good cause, but it's still sin? We just can't get beyond that. But then we're also confused even more so because Rahab is actually considered a woman of faith and righteousness according to the New Testament. Hmm, that's something to think about. Along those lines, Rahab is also said to be a prostitute, which is also a sin. So I guess you could almost ask, why save someone like her? I'm sure there were people within Jericho who at least were a little better than her. Okay, so maybe we're quick to point fingers at Rahab, but let's be honest. We're all deserving of death. None of us deserve salvation and we've all sinned. If we've sinned once, it's as if we've broken all of the commandments. So maybe it's tempting to look at Rahab and think she shouldn't have been saved because of her sin. But if we think that, then honestly, none of us should be saved. What sets Rahab apart is that she acted righteously and I believe that she changed her ways. The story of Rahab actually encourages me because it reminds me that to God, your past does not define you. God can save anyone just as he saved Rahab from the destruction of Jericho. Well, now that we've gotten to see Jericho from the ground, I'd like to take you on a cable car ride to see Jericho from above here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hellsdale 101.7 FM. Come on, let's head on over to the cable car station. I'm going to go grab some tickets for us, and then we'll hop in one of the cars and ascend. Okay, everyone, hop on in. Don't worry. There is lots of room, and these are all safe. I promise. They're kept up to safety standards. It will probably end up being about a 10-minute ride. And I'll let you know um, (laughs) that I'm actually quite afraid of heights, and I don't love tight spaces. But I'm actually totally comfortable in the cable car. And I've also done this before, so I can attest that it is safe. And if you don't want to look out the window, just sit in the middle and, and listen as we ride on up. But if you... If you really don't want to come, I won't force you. Anyone want to stay behind? No? Okay, you all are brave. Hop on in. So we're just going to go over top of Jericho to that small mountain out the front of the cable car. You can see it up there. It's nice that you'll be able to see what Jericho looks like from above. You'll be able to get an idea of its size and maybe see what the layout of the city was like. Now, we won't have time to get out of the top and see what's up there for long, but I'll tell you what this cable car goes to. It's believed to be the Mount of Temptation where Jesus was tempted by Satan and then there's also a monastery up there and you can kind of see some of the monastery structure like kind of the windows sticking out of the stone. Okay, now there are some debates on where the actual Mount of Temptation is because the Bible just says that it's a hill in the Judean Desert. So sure, we're in the Judean Desert, but there are a lot of hills. And so there's actually a more traditional site than this one that we'll check out at some point on our tour. But I really just like this ride because it's fun and it also lets you experience a different view of Jericho and the Judean desert. Oh, look down, see how Jericho is below us now? Isn't it cool how you can see how it would have been quite a a powerful and large city. It's also so much easier to make out the topography from above, you can see the layout. Now, you can just imagine Lots of people running about, some roofs on the houses, and you're back to Jericho from thousands of years ago. Well, we're arriving at the top, so let's hop on out. There's a good lookout over this way, so come. So now if you look out, you'll see Jericho below us, right? And now you're looking out over the Judean desert also. So just imagine this. Imagine the Israelites somewhere in this area camping out, waiting for the moment. When God would deliver the city into their hands, and then the city walls all came crashing down right out there in this miraculous moment. Jericho was burned to the ground. Try to imagine just all of the fire and all of the destruction right in front of us, and only Rahab was saved. Wow, it is amazing to think about. It's also amazing to think that it all happened right here. If you squint just a little bit, I know you can sort of see the events taking place. It just takes a little imagination. Okay, let's head on back down. I'm getting really hungry. So before we head to our next stop across the street from Jericho, I think we should grab an authentic Israeli lunch. Ooh, I see a street vendor selling some delicious brisket. Did you know that Israeli brisket is simply amazing? I'm not even joking, and I don't think we've ever tried any brisket here. I may get some of you angry by saying this, but Texas can step aside. Honestly, Israeli brisket is where it's at. It's so delicious, and I've had Texas brisket. Let me get us all a huge platter and we can share from there. Oh, yum. You may not believe me because this meat is so tender, but this brisket actually comes from one of the toughest and most inexpensive pieces of meat, but it's been tenderized for so long. and hmm, I think I taste some of the brown sugar and the herbs. It's just delicious. I mean, it sounds like a strange combo. But it's really not. It's obviously been cooked all day, and this right here is the way brisket should be done. For dessert, I've grabbed each of you one of my favorite pastries, chocolate rugelach. My parents will sometimes get these from a bakery in Jerusalem down on Jaffa Street. Jaffa Street is the street on which our hostel is located, so you all are familiar with it down uh, kind of towards the end so we're up Jaffa Street at our hostel in Jerusalem and, and the bakery that we like is down at the other end so it'd be a walk but still. My parents will sometimes get these and they'll get them late at night before the bakery closes and then the next morning we're all surprised to find our favorite pastries just sitting on the counter and these pastries look like croissants. Mm, But the dough is a little thicker, actually, Um, and that's because it usually has yogurt in it, which makes it a little thicker and, and not quite as flaky. And because it's so thick, the middle usually doesn't get totally cooked, and you get this wonderful doughy texture. The middle is also my favorite because it has a thick layer of chocolate inside of it, but it's not a piece of chocolate or a roll of chocolate like you might find in a traditional chocolate croissant. It's some sort of chocolate that's been melted down, i guess, and then they spread it across the dough before it's rolled up. And I love it because you don't only get chocolate in certain bites, like with a croissant, it's in every bite. So it's just delicious. Well, now that we've all enjoyed some amazing food, let's head on to our next stop. But we're out of time for today, so you'll just have to come back next time as we head to a special spring of water which Elisha actually cured. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to explore the land of Israel.